Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Matt Cornell wears a few musical hats as a member of Adam Brand's band and the duo Cornell and Carr, as well as releasing solo music. His latest single, Our Church, is a collaboration with Adam Brand, and I'm going to talk to him about it. Hi, Matt. Hey, Soph. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This is a great, big, emotional song. It really packs a punch. But I'm going to start by asking how you first met Adam Brand. Uh, okay, so... At the time, I was playing in the Baby Animals, so it was like another world. Like when I look back, it was another world at the time. And uh, Sam Hawksley, uh, a good mate of mine who I'd known for many years, he was working with Adam. He was Adam's band leader and had been playing guitar in his band for a long time. He just rang me out of the blue and said, mate, um, would you be interested in doing a tour with Adam Brand? Um, the bass player that he's had for years recently left him and your name's come up. And I said, sure, you know. And... and um, and I didn't know what to expect. I, I, I knew who Adam was. I knew some of his songs, but I've never really worked with any country, uh, country artists before. So um, I, there I was. I just jumped in and, yeah, 14 years later, he can't get rid of me. So it's so interesting that you had never worked with country artists before because everyone would think of you as a country music artist. Uh, but obviously being, the Baby Animals was rock for people who don't know them or are vaguely remembering them. They were a rock outfit. Absolutely, they were. I wasn't. I wasn't the original member. I was a fan when I was a kid. Well, when I was a teenager, I, I used to love the Baby Animals, and so they had uh, like seventeen or eighteen years. They uh, they had a hiatus, reformed, and then I got the call, and, and I was stoked because I was a fan of the band. And that was just yeah, it was a great great time. I think I did the gig for maybe four years. Right, but it, but it was you know you talk about sliding door moments when when I did that first tour with Adam it was a bit of an eye-opener because country music and the rock world are very different and I also noticed with country artists someone like Adam that had had quite a decorated career just the interaction with the fans and doing things like meet and greets after the show like that was foreign to me I'd never seen it and it was Adam I'd already put out a couple of records at that point but Adam was the one you know, after knowing him for quite a few months, he said, oh, so you, you write songs? I said, yeah, I've released a couple of records. And when he listened to my music, he said, mate, you're writing country songs. These are country songs. You're a storyteller. Like, why aren't you doing country? And I was like, I'd, to be honest, so f- I was so, for so many years, working as a hired gun for so many artists as a singing bass player, doing all this touring, that was a big part of my life because that's how I was paying my way and I was travelling the world, having this great life. But I was releasing music, but to be honest, I didn't really have direction and I hadn't even put myself in a genre. I, mm-hmm. I was more, I used to look at myself as a singer-songwriter, but it was Adam that said, you're writing country songs. Right. And and country wasn't foreign to me because of my mum and dad growing up in a music household. Looking back, you know, I, I was raised on their on their vinyl collection and they had everything from Anne Murray to right. Willie Nelson to, you know, Kenny Rogers. My dad used to sing Kenny Rogers songs in his set. So country music to me, when I say I was raised on it, I wasn't just raised on that. I was raised on swing and, you know, mm-hmm. everything from the Beatles to the Beach Boys to Ella Fitzgerald. But country was definitely an influence because of my mum and dad. 
but I'd never worked with a country artist. And so Adam was the first one. Yeah, right. I'm just going to backtrack to when you said, oh, I got I got the call for the baby animals. Now, you say that kind of casually. It's not a small thing for someone to actually be called up to join a band like that. So that's, uh, I mean, for you at the time, it probably was because you had been working a lot um, in, in various bands. But how did you get yourself to the point where someone like, like a, a band like the Baby Animals goes, hey, that guy, that's who we want. Obviously, you'd made a name for yourself. Well, I think just in life, whether whatever field of work someone's in, it's about the relationships and, and those serendipitous moments. And for me, it started, you know, like a lot of people, I cut my teeth playing in cover bands for so many years. And I got to a point, uh, I was probably in my late 20s or, no, actually it would have been mid-20s, where I didn't want to do the cover band gigs anymore and I felt like I was good enough to be playing with these bigger acts. And I was almost, I was manifesting before I knew what manifesting was and I was like, I'm not doing cover band gigs anymore. I want to start playing with these bigger acts. And then another thing that just sort of fell into my lap was Richard Clapton's gig. And so I did Richard's gig for six years. From that gig, there's there's a common thread. Dave Leslie was the original and is the Baby Animals guitar player. He got me Shannon Knowles' gig. Um, uh, so I was playing with in Richard Clapton's band, sorry, with David Leslie. He left Richard's band to go and join Shannon Knowles' band. Shortly after, I got the call to go and play with Shannon's band. Then I did Shannon's gig for eight years. Right. And then Dave was doing Shannon's gig and then left to get back into the Baby Animals. Right. And, that's, and so Dave was the connection there. And when Susie came back, Susie DeMarchi, she wanted to do the band again, but she wanted to do it with a different lineup. So again, Dave, it's quite fortuitous, my relationship with Dave, and that's how that gig came about. So, you know, you could you could talk about any industry where there's those connections, but that that's sort of how it happened. And 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 I and I was very grateful because again, I was a fan as a kid. To then be in that band, it was it was quite surreal. Mm. So Sam Hawksley called you to be part of Adam's band, you as a bass player, but you went on to become the band leader for Adam. So does that mean you and Sam had an arm wrestle and you forced him out? <laughs> no, Sam moved to uh, Nashville. That, that's, you know, Sam would have been doing that gig a lot for a hell of a lot longer. He'd been with Adam for many years and, and those two were very close. But then Sam wanted to pursue his own dream and his own career and he moved to Nashville. And shortly after he moved to Nashville, I went and had a sit down with Adam. He said, mate, come and, come and have lunch with me. And, and he said, look, Sam's about to leave. I want to offer you an opportunity that I've, I've given Sam for many years. And that is opening my shows and also being my band leader and running the band and that kind of thing. And, and you know, I was completely grateful. And, and, and of course, I took him up on the opportunity. Thing is with Adam Brand that um, people that may or may not know about him, he's, he's a very generous guy. And, and, and in the arts, I, I guess... Sometimes artists, they're not that sort of, they're, they're not all like Adam where they want to give you an opportunity like that. Like he literally said, I want to get you in front of my fans. I want them to see you and I want you to be able to have my fans. I want them to be engaged with your career. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, not, it's, it's not very common. And so I'd had worked with different artists over the years that weren't like that at all. So when Adam said that to me, I was like, wow, this guy's very different. And, he, and he's had a history of doing that with, with many, many people. But, um, yeah, it, it, so Sam went, went to, to Nashville. Uh, I started doing Sam's role and literally haven't looked back. Like, I feel had I not got that call with Sam, would I have ended up in country music? I don't know. 
but it was Adam that definitely gave me the push to say, mate, you need to be here. This is where you need to be. And to be honest, so all those years working in the industry as a rock musician, pop musician, whatever, I found a home in country. To me, this feels like home. Right. And you say, you know, Adam, yes, is is very generous. Um, I know that about him just from what I've heard. But he's also canny and he knows his audience. So I'm sure that in putting you in front of his audience as his support act, he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't, it wasn't a charity case, let's put it that way. He knew he had to put someone there who could entertain his crowd. And that's a crowd that expects entertainment because he puts on a big show. Yeah, he does. I mean, it's not like he threw me to the walls. I've been around, but in saying that, um, he has you know, incredible insights, just someone that's been doing it at that level for so long. And looking back in those earlier tours when I was out there opening for his shows, like at the time I thought I really had my shtick down pat, but looking back I was still very green to some degrees and and he pointed out a lot of things about my performances that that could have been better. And I've I've always been one of those people that is very good taking criticism when it's constructive and when it's, you know, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm managed by Dicko, that guy. You want to talk about being able to tell you how it is, and I love that about Dicko, but I, I digress. Um, so, yeah, Adam really, he really sort of picked up on things that I wouldn't have picked up on, and, and he used to, he'd sit backstage and I'd come off stage and say, now, that intro to that song, I think it's not quite right and you need to do, do this and da-da-da-da-da. And, and and sometimes he'd say, now, look, I don't want you to get offended. And, he, and I'd say to him, tell me, just tell me straight up. Mm. And he's always, and even to this day, so it's like, you know, we've been working together for 14 plus years, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not, you know, in my early 20s, I've been around, and he still to this day will give me great advice and I always take it. Yeah, right. So he's a real collaborator for you and therefore it's no mystery that you would want to create a song with him and Our Church is the song you've made with him. Adam had recently released his own studio album though, so I'm wondering if you had to twist his arm to get back in the studio to record this or he just relished the opportunity. It came about very naturally. Uh, Him and I, we've been saying for years that one day we will do a song, but it had to be right. The timing had to be right. It was the start of last year I got uh, asked to do my very first song culture. It's a songwriting hub in Brisbane. It's the brainchild of Nolan Wynn and Jared Porter where they bring all these artists together to write music over a couple of days. They put you in groups and you, you write during the day, you break for lunch, you write another song at night. So you write four or five songs over two days. It was the last session on day two. They put five guys together in the last session Gav Carfoot, myself, Brooke Chevelle, Jake Whitaker, and um, it's having a mental blank. It'll come to me in a sec. This is, uh, sorry, uh, Link Phelps. And it was actually Link that said, why don't we write a song about brotherhood? And then that's where I proceeded to tell him about church. So I'm sort of going the wrong way about telling you the story. Can I tell you about church? Yes, please do, because that's a question I had. So there you go. Okay, so I should have told you about that first. So. During the, the craziness of COVID and lockdowns, some people did okay. I, I didn't. I was one of those ones that really struggled. I think when we went into our first lockdown, I'd had around 80 shows for that year, just gone like that. And it wasn't so much the money initially, like the, all the loss of income. I think it was, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with myself. For 30 plus years, I've been in this industry and, and you get used to 
living a certain way and you, you go about your work, all of a sudden it's gone. I didn't know what to do. And I found over the coming months, I probably drank more than I should have. I probably ate more than I should have, like a lot of us. You know, we just stuck at home. I was just, you know, drinking wine and probably having a wine during the day where well, I never do that. I always like to be very productive during the day. And and it led to me just, just sort of crashing. I, I felt really flat mm-hmm. and I was struggling. And on the flip side, Adam had the complete opposite experience. He packed up his family and got in, in a bus and went to the outback. And he had one of the most incredible six months of his life. And so he came back. I hadn't seen him for a long time, many, many months. And, and we got together, uh, Adam, myself, and a dear friend of ours, Chris, and Adam saw I was struggling and I, I don't, I'm not one of those guys that sort of holds the, things in it. When he said, how are you going? I said, not good. Mm-hmm. Told him what I'd been going through. And, and he just said to me, he said, you know what? The three of us should get together every week. We should pick a day and stick to it. And, and it's going to take effort. And because I think it'll be good for each other. We can inspire each other. We can lift, lift each other up. So we picked the day and it was Wednesday. Wednesday was our, our catch up day. Right. And what we do, we nominate a different cafe every week and uh, we take turns at, at meeting at the cafe. And after a month or two, I rang Adam up one day and he found this quite amusing because he knows I'm not religious. And, and I said to him, I said, I've got a name for our catch-up. And he said, what is it? I said, church. He said, you? Come on at church. I said, well, I look at people that go to church on Sunday. They know they have to go. That it makes them accountable. I said, this is our church, mate, where we go every Wednesday and yep. that cafe that we sit in for that moment is our church and we get together and we lift each other up and he said, I love it. So church was born right. and we did this for about six or seven months until he had his second child and we had to stop doing it for a while. But And then I told the boys this story when we are doing song culture and, and they loved the concept. And so we wrote the song in about three hours. Right. We did a, an acoustic demo straight afterwards and I sent it to Adam that night. So we wrote the song that afternoon, did a little demo, sent it to Adam that night. You're talking about his album. He was just, he was finishing off recording the All or Nothing album. He was driving back from Pomona where he'd been recording. I sent him the thing saying, no, I rang him. I rang him. I said, mate, I've written this song. It's about us. I'm going to send it to you now. He had to pull the car over and he rang me up straight away. He said, mate. We, we have to record this song. He said, this is the song that you and I have talked about for years that one day we're going to do a song. He said, this is the song. It's about us. We have to record it. So that was February last year. And then as the, the year progressed, we kept loosely saying, are we going to do it? He's like, yep, we're going to do it. And so I reached out to Adam late last year and I said, look, if we're going to record this song, he wasn't a part of the writing process, but I knew the song could be improved. There were some things that, that, could be jigged and so I said to him why don't we sit down and and if you can bring something to the song I'd really love you to be a part of the song because you know I wrote it with these boys about Adam and I wanted him to be a part of the song and no word of a lie so within two hours of me sending him that text saying we should get together he just sent me this thing it's too late to tell you in the back of a hearse so I'm telling you now this is our church and I was like whoa and that ended up being the last breakdown verse. And, and then we got together a couple of days later and we just threw some ideas around and he came up with the, the idea of the chant, you know, if you go to war, I've got a war, brothers and sisters are in this together. So he really contributed to the song. We recorded it late last year and and um, and, it, and it's it's out there in the ethos now and, and the response has been, you know, more than we could have imagined. So, you know, in, in forming church with you, Adam gave you a purpose. And now that it's had, had this, this other life of, of 
uh, you know, the song reflecting that purpose, I guess the video does as well. And I'll ask you about the video in a second, but I'm wondering if you've had people contact you and tell them that it's become a sort of anthem for, for what they do with their friends. So many. So when the video was put out, just reading the comments was inspiring enough, just reading the comments. But what's interesting, it's it started this conversation about mental health and that many people talking about mental health. That was never the intention when we were writing the song. We were just in the zone of writing a song about the three of us getting together, doing this thing, some guy struggling, reaching out to his mates. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. But then songs sometimes have a life of their own and you don't know where they're going to go and, and, and you know what they're going to do upon release. I don't know if this was in your questions you were going to ask tonight, Safe, but the, the song got picked up um, by uh, a, tr- a tragic event that happened in January, a, a drag car racer, Sam Fennick, tragically lost his life. Bit of a sliding door moment. One of Adam's really good friends, Wade Oranger, who is the voice of Speedway and, and commentates on, on the drag cars, he was there the night it happened. Adam just happened to play him the song. This was before the song was released and they were sitting in the car and Adam said, I've got to play this song that Maddie and I have, have recorded. When, when Wade heard it, he got very emotional. He said to Adam, he said, we have to do something with this song and do something for Sam's family. Mm-hmm. Wade then reached out to a guy called Nathan Prendergast and, and they put the, the video together and it got it got viewed over 100,000 times in the first couple of weeks that it was out there. And all of a sudden the people in drag racing right. reading the comments and people reaching out saying, this is our anthem. Mm-hmm. And, and what was really interesting about that, Sophie, is the song that I was a part of creating and writing it took, a, it took on a different meaning than mm. what I thought the song initially was about. And when you watch the, the footage, um, not our video, but you watch the, the, the drag racing tribute to Sam, you realise that when you're watching it, it's like it's the song was written for the drag racing community because right. that's their church. The racetrack is their church. Yeah. Them in the pit crew, you know, you know, the blood, sweat and tears, you know, working on the cars and everything that they do the adrenaline dumps that they get when they're racing and, and winning and losing the, the the roller coaster, that's their church. And I was like, wow. And then I realised the song, it's taken on a, a different meaning for a lot of people. And so, you know, I look at country music, for instance, I look at country music fans when they mm-hmm. go to a, a, a festival or, and a lot of these fans that I know and I've become dear friends with, their crew, their, their people that they've met, that they, that they go to festivals with, that's their church. Mm-hmm. church can be relatable on so many levels it's not just about you know mental health it's not just about friends being there for each other it's it's about community mm-hmm. and so it's taken on a bit of a life of its own and it's been really interesting being a part of a song that I, I created watching how different people have interpreted interpreted the song and and the fact that it's it's getting people to talk about men's mental health which is so important because Men typically don't open up and we know suicide rates are a lot higher in men. And and so there's been a lot of these conversations. So I feel proud to be a part of something that is stimulating the conversation about a subject matter that is, it's very dear to me because I've lost mates over the years, but I think it's just, it's a society issue now and it's so important for us to have these conversations. Yeah, and it's also interesting that that church came about because, as you said, you're not good at keeping things in. You express something to Adam, so yeah. I mean, even if you're, even if that's your natural inclination, it's still quite a big step to say to someone, no matter how close you are. In fact, sometimes because you're close to them, I'm struggling, and so it's just interesting to me that whole the whole length of your relationship with Adam has given rise to this song, which in which in its in turn will help some other people. It is already 
helping some other people, um, no doubt. So yeah, it's more a comment than a question. But I think you know, your your willingness to be open about what was going on, his willingness to be receptive to it, that's really at the core of that song. Yeah, it is. I, I haven't really stopped to think about it like that. And I guess, you know, everyone's different, but I, I've always worn my heart on my sleeve and, and sometimes to my detriment, just being overly honest with people and friends over the years. But I, I have... I'm not I'm not a guy that sort of keeps things bottled up. And if I am struggling, I've always sort of been quite open. Maybe it's my upbringing, I don't know. But but in saying that, I guess, you know, I feel lucky that I've got friends in my life like Adam where, where you feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. to to reach out and, uh, and you know, open up your heart and just sort of say, you know, I'm not doing too good. You know, there's no shame in it. I think there's it, it takes more guts to say that than than keep it inside because, you know, it's that 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 line that Adam came up with. You know, it's too late to tell you in the back of the hearse. It, it is. You know, it, it is too late. And I've lost way too many friends probably over the last twenty years to suicide, and they're all men, every single one of them. Right. And and you end up beating yourself up, going, you know, maybe why don't I ring him more? Why don't I check in more? Why didn't, why didn't I pick up on the signs? And we all know that quite often, you know, I was only reading yesterday. I think I was on the flight home. I was reading about Paul Hester. I think it was his anniversary yesterday, the crowded house drummer. And he, he had an incredible career. He, had a, he just had so much going for him. So quite often you, you don't see it coming. There's people that, you know, we've all known that have taken their lives. You, you don't see it coming a lot of the time. So, yeah, it's just, I, I think the paradigm is shifting, but I think, there's still that issue with a lot of guys not opening up, but I think it is changing. I think men, there's a lot of, you know, obviously Lifeline and Beyond Blue and all these organisations, but I think there is, you know, men's sheds and Mm. all these sort of things that are popping up everywhere that are are becoming more and more mainstream. So I think we've just got got to keep talking about it. Yeah, and this song will be part of the change, I am sure, and not just the song but the video because the video does depict church. It depicts you meeting Adam and some other people in a cafe, but then there's another meaning of church in it, I think, which is the studio that you end up in with a whole lot of, uh, well, I identify them as Queensland country music artists, Brianna Dinsdale, I noticed um, Jake Whitaker and Brooke Chevelle are in there, the co-writers. So I'm wondering how you managed to get all those people in the studio at the same time. Well, for, on your first point, the, the the film clip is quite literal and the guys in the video are our band members that play with me and Adam. Uh, there's also my mate, good mate Jimmy and and uh, and so these guys are a part of our crew uh, and, and it was filmed with my mate, I've got my friends Cam and Kat that own a cafe down here in, in Kira or Cafe All Sorts. So, and that's where I go all the time. So that was quite literal. The studio footage was the second um, song culture the end of last year so it just sort of all sort of came together at the right time so we wrote the song the start of last year when I did my first song culture then I did it again the end of last year and that's when I had the idea I said look I'm going to be in the studio all the writers are going to be there and there was and plus there was you know James Johnson and and um actually Kaylee Bell didn't do this one but there's everyone was going to be there so I just reached out to to both Nolan Gav Carfoot and Jared who who are the song culture guys and just said, look, would you mind seeing that we wrote the song there, the writers are going to be there. Can we, can we shoot some studio footage? And they just did a blanket email to everyone that was going to be there. And everyone said, yeah, of course. And it was great because there's so many people in, in, in that clips, some of those artists there I'm really good friends with and a lot of mates we invited to come in 
that have got nothing to do with the music industry. They're mates of ours, and, and they enjoy being part of a video where they're singing in, in the room with their arms around each other and they're all singing, you know, the song. It was a real special moment, and you can see the, the footage where I'm sort of talking and everyone's listening. I'm telling them the story about church and how it came about, and 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 I don't know. I'm I'm proud of this song for for quite a few reasons. And again, I think it's important that you know we're talking about it. You and I we're having mm-hmm. this conversation as opposed to just having a conversation about a song that's been released. I think that the meaning of this song. It is resonating, and you know, I feel humbled by that. Yeah, and I, yeah, I am, I, I am thinking of that point where it's a, it's, it's a two part thing. It's you being open and Adam receiving it because I think that's that's a big part of the mental health conversation. Is that it's one thing to say to people open up, but the people who are on the other side need to be receptive. And so I do think a song like this can act as a form of shorthand. To people, it, you know, they may not want to have yeah, the entire conversation, but they can they can play the song and say, "Oh, you know, have a listen to this song," and hope that people will be receptive to what they're playing. Yeah, definitely. And getting to what I mentioned earlier about you know getting around people and and wanting to inspire and lift up people and and whatnot, I think it's important if when, if we've got people in our lives, whether it's family, whether it's your neighbour, whether it's a friend, and you just sense something's off. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask them if they're okay and just reach out and pick up the phone or someone that you know may, may have. One, one thing that I, I've known over the years, when you know someone that's lost someone, when the event happens and the, at the funeral and all that sort of stuff, everyone's there. But as the months go on, people sort of drop off. And I think it's important um, if someone you know has lost someone, don't don't stop checking in on them because sometimes grief can just go on for a long time. Mm. So... As friends, I think we owe it to each other. Just keep checking in on our mates and just see how they're going. Yeah. Um, it is a wonderful song musically as well. So even if people you know, aren't interested in the message or it's not right for them at this time, it is just a great song. And now I'm going to completely change tack and ask you uh, about something that's happening in the middle of the year. You must be looking forward to Country on Keppel in July. And I also noticed you're playing something called Tunes in the Tropics in Fiji in August. So I've deduced, Matt Cornell, that you like playing in tropical locations. <laughs> well, I, I never put it on like a thing on my website. If anyone's <laughs> interested to book me on a tropical island, I'm available. These things just sort of come about. But Country on Keppel, it's quite a special one to me because it'll be the third year in a row for me and I feel like I've got an emotional attachment to the festival itself. And a good mate of mine, James Blundell, um, the gig sort of means a lot to him. His brother was the creator of Country on Keppel along with the owners of the island. And to, to keep getting invited back, it's just a, a really special thing. And it's a special festival because most festivals, sometimes they're a one-day festival or they go over a weekend and people travel all over Australia to go to them, but there's none on a tropical island. Right. It's the only one that I know, the only country music festival on a tropical island. Yeah. And it's a beautiful backdrop. The atmosphere, because people are there for the whole weekend and they're not they're not racing home or they're not camping in tents. It's all sort of it's all on the island. It's just a really special thing. So really looking forward to that. Tunes in the tropics. I think it got postponed twice because of COVID. This will be the first time I've done it. I don't know a hell of a lot about it. I know it's a really good lineup. I know it's. In Fiji, I know it's going to be a hoot. I know there's going to be a lot of cocktails involved. 
<laughs> that's about hopefully, as much as I Hopefully not before you go on stage. <laughs> uh, no, of course not. I'm a professional. <laughs> well, it's a, look, both of those sound like a lot of fun. I think if anyone is inclined to be in the tropics and listen to music, they should check them out. Um, and in the meantime, I'm sure they can catch you around the other places. Your dates are often on your website and on your social media. For the, In the meantime, Our Church is out now. It's a great song. People should listen to it. And Matt Cornell, thank you for your time. Sophie, you're always very generous with your time. And thank you for uh, getting me on your platform. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.